Good morning. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Uh, it is Gary on Guns, and as such, we have uh, Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, sir. Glad to have you on board. And then uh, Chuck Basie is with us, former state representative. Good, Good morning, morning Chuck. Good morning. And holy Toledo, I can hardly stand to look at that T-shirt. Uh, but uh, let's uh, also bring in Garson from Graphs. Uh, Garson, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? How, how long do you have to wear that T-shirt? Did did you lose a bet or what? Oh, <laughs> I'm probably just gonna you know wear it till the election. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, topics uh, this morning that we need to get into. Uh, we just had another uh, school shooting, which is really top of the news. Uh, so we uh, interviewed uh, Sheriff Curry on the program. Uh, earlier on the week during the weekday program. We'll bring that interview to you uh, a little later in the program. But John Lott sent me a message uh, last week, and he said that I should uh, contact Jim Irvin, or Irvin, uh, Irvine? Irvin, Irvin. I'm pretty sure it's Irvin, but we'll make sure. Anyway, I did. He has something called the FASTER program. Uh, and since I am deeply concerned with the safety of children in schools, uh, I thought I'd bring him on board uh, to talk with us and explain what the FASTER program is. Jim, welcome to the program. How are you? Gary and uh, other guys, it's a uh, pleasure to be with you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Yeah, we know it's a pleasure to be with us. I mean, you are in such great company, uh, except for Garson. But never mind that. Uh, what is the FASTER program? What is this? FASTER, it's an acronym. It stands for Faculty Administrator Safety Training and Emergency Response. And it's a program that we've been running for over 10 years. And we train our school staff and our law enforcement how to deal with active killers. Let's stop these killing. The whole idea is stop the killing, stop, and then use the medical stuff and stop the dying, the kids that are injured. All right, so, so we're, yeah. um, who came up with the we concept? Uh, the concept actually came up from John Benner. He uh, runs Tactical Defense Institute, Vietnam-era vet, career law enforcement officer, started and commanded uh, the nation's first multi-jurisdictional SWAT team. Um, but he was also worked for NASRO, the National Association of School Resource Officers, and he trained, he put together and trained the trainers and nationally in, for our whole school resource program. And he will tell you that doing this training is where I, he, as a professional law enforcement officer, told me, look, because finally I realized I'm training the wrong people. It's not the cops I need to be training, it's the school staff. So our program came directly out of the school resource officer program. It's been adjusted to work for school staff versus police officers. They're different people, they look at things differently, so it's specifically geared towards them, but at this mission. And the bottom line is, by using his stuff and also guys like Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman and Ron Borsch and uh, Dr. Brian Springer on the medical stuff, going to our nation's experts on all, each of these topics, and then working with schools and administrators and parents, putting together a program that we believe is the best and what's clearly the largest and most successful such program in the country to train our school staff to deal with this. And yeah, it does include school staff being trained to carry a gun because at the end of the day, that is what ended the violence 
in Nashville. A trained, competent person willing to go do that job. It was a law enforcement officer, and kudos to them. But it took them 14 minutes, and had that school not done a lot of other things right, the death toll would be a whole lot higher than six. And so death toll of one is not acceptable. I'm an airline pilot. That's what I do for a living. Our standard is every passenger and every crew member has got to get safely. I sign a contract every flight I operate that I will deliver that. I have a legal and moral obligation to deliver my passengers safely to their destination. And if I can't do that, I better deliver them safely to an alternate or back to the original gate or something. Our schools need a mindset shift, just like we did in aviation. They need to understand that they are legally and morally responsible for their staff and their students, not some police agency who's you're gonna call when things go bad. They are personally responsible, and they better have a way to deal with it. And if they don't, they're negligent. It's, it's time they take that obligation seriously. When they do, they will achieve the same thing we have in aviation, 15 years without a death. I believe we cannot just reduce or flatten the curve. We can absolutely eliminate active shootings in our schools. We know how. We've got the way to do it. It's just working with the schools and the funding to make it happen. Uh, let me ask, Dale, do you have any questions? Uh, no, actually, I was just thinking this is similar to uh, Senator Brown's bill, Senate Bill 75, that started uh, training teachers and faculty for the first time in Missouri. So it's, it's, uh, it's an important step. Now, by the way, uh, if there's anybody listening from any school system anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country anyway, the website is fastersaveslives.org. Fastersaveslives.org. Uh, and if you uh, have a question uh, for Jim, give us a call, 800-529-5572. You guys are a nonprofit. Uh, what, you know, does that mean uh, people donate and then you go out and train for free or how does this work so we we are a nonprofit and we are funded by donations we are also in ohio's budget to uh, provide funding for this that's i don't remember how many years that's going on so we have funding from the state that has greatly enabled us to uh to offer free training to ohio schools not unlimited but we do a lot we gen in ohio we generally give grants for the first five people that come from a school are free. And then each year after, I think we do two. Um, otherwise we have to charge and we do charge for uh, some of the other training we do, or we charge for churches or businesses because our, our grants from the state aren't able to do that. If we have out of state people on a limited basis, we do have other donations through private donations that we try and help out because it's not really about saving all the lives in Ohio. It's about saving our entire nation anywhere. Uh, so we do everything we can to help out, but we cannot raise enough money yet to be able to offer this to free for all the schools. Uh, I would love for governments in state or federal to be able to fund us enough that we could do that. The bottom line is schools want, even people who are anti-gun, they want the schools to be safe. They want the kids to be safe. Nobody likes what happens on this stuff. So they just, schools don't have the money to afford quality training. And too often what we see is they take this, the shortcut or the simple thing and they go get advice that they think is good and it's wrong. And so they, they unknowingly follow bad advice and don't keep their kids safe. Look at Sandy Hook. 
that, I mean, that was devastating. 20 little kids died up there and six staff members. And that school did cameras. They did single point entry. They did lockdowns. They did uh, the buzzer to get in. They had all kinds of security stuff right. What they never did was have someone who really understands these events and how humans respond to them go look at their plan because it was not possible for their staff to execute. Their doors locked from the outside. So you have a teacher with a under fire of a gun trying to lock a door from outside her classroom. It's not going to happen. You lose your fine motor skills. It's like the movie with the keys and they can't unlock their car door. Well, guess what? That's one thing in the movies they get right. You can't do it, and they didn't. And, and kids died as a result. Schools need to learn to, act, to know where to get the, the expert advice and help them deal with a plan that works. Our Nashville school last week, interestingly, the death toll's low. They had, had somebody go through and show them where, how to barricade doors and where the safe spots in the classrooms are. And that is something that Parkland School also did. That Parkland, they actually went through every classroom to mark where safe spots are. But in Parkland, they never disseminated that information to their school staff because they thought that was not appropriate and it would never be needed. We're too good of a school. We don't have those problems. And kids, all those kids, almost all those, a lot of those kids got shot in the classroom. Some got shot in the hallway with a whole other mess. But um, they, they didn't know where to go in the classroom. Kids figured it out on their own. But adults never had a plan or never took care of it. In Nashville, it looks like it went very differently. They had looked at this. They had a plan, and they executed it and saved a lot of kids' lives as a result. Wow. All right. We got we to gotta talk about, um, among other things, what to do after the shooting. Uh, but you've hit on one of the things that I've been arguing for the longest time, and I think everybody in the studio here has as well, that uh, the best defense is for faculty and staff who are willing uh, to take extra training and to have a, a, a firearm on them. Uh, and I also, and I've argued this uh, repeatedly, every school that does this should have a big brass sign right at every door and at the driveway. Our faculty and staff are armed to protect our children. Yeah, and I think with this most recent shooting, um, there's proof that that works. Anyway, we got to take a quick break. We're up against the clock. Jim, can you hang on? Absolutely. All right. It's Gary on Guns. Welcome. It is Gary on Guns. Garson is in from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, well worth a ride down the down the uh, down the highway. They sell internationally all over this country. Uh, if you're into reloading, they are the place to go, but they've got firearms, targets, holsters, uh, ammunition. They've got it all. Uh, it is well, well worth the ride to go to Graf's. Uh, and uh, then we have uh, Chuck Basie, former state representative, Second Amendment supporter. He is with us. And Dale Roberts, uh, MoGunLaw.com. Uh, on the phone, we have Jim Irvin, and Jim is with the program, the FASTER program, and they train schools and personnel uh, to help save the lives and protect the lives of their their, uh, their wards, the children. Uh, his website is fastersaveslives.org. Uh, and if there's a school system out there anywhere that's uh, interested, uh, I think they can make an arrangement uh, where they will uh, help train. 
Jim, you you talked about um, things that need to be done to help deter, uh, to keep the bad guy away. And one of the things I pointed out as we were going into break, that uh, in this most recent shooting, uh, this girl had two targets, but one of them she decided wasn't worth the risk because they had an armed resource uh, officer on board. That sort of supports the the contention that uh, gun-free zones are the place for the bad guys to go. Exactly. And we've seen this multiple other times where killers go to their first location. They're concerned that somebody else is armed. Somebody else may stop them. And so they go somewhere else where the killing's easier. The people who do these events are cowards of an immense degree. Why do you take, why does an adult take in an AR-15 or any other gun and go to six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old children and shoot them down? Because high school kids are big. They're scary. But even I can handle a little child with my gun. That's the kind of coward we're dealing with here. And so we need to quit being afraid of these people. We need to... Number one, understand it's not a gun problem. It's a mental health problem. And if we could invest and work on that, we could maybe prevent some of these things from happening. But once they start, the only thing you can do is end it as quick as possible. And everything shows the fastest way to stop someone from shooting everyone else in the room is to shoot them down. It's just, I I wish there was a better way but that is the safest, most reliable way. That's why that's what law enforcement did. That's why it's what they do routinely and what they're trained to do. And we also see people like uh, Catherine Koontz, who's gonna go to the scene and die on event day. Same thing happened with Victoria, uh, Victoria Soto up in Sandy Hook, with Frank Holland Chardon, with Coach Feist down in Parkland, over and over and over again. We see school staff are willing to lay down their lives and die for the children. Their bond is that strong. I, that's something that I didn't know coming into this. I, I learned this getting into it, um, was how strong that bond is, how special these people are. Moms will die for their own kids. That's common throughout the animal kingdom. But no cat dies for another cat's kittens, only their own. Our school staff, not all of them, clearly, but some in every building, are willing to lay down their own lives for those kids. Imagine if Catherine Koontz, and I know nothing about her, if she, this would have appealed to her or not, but what we do know about her is she left her office and went to the, the killer. She was willing to go there on event day and confront him. Imagine if she had been properly trained and authorized to carry a gun, and she would have stopped him instead of waiting for 14 minutes for law enforcement to come in and stop him. Faster Saves Lives, I'm sorry, org, FasterSavesLives.org and Jim Irvin. Jim, I only have a couple of minutes left, but you also worry about the aftermath. The bad guy gets in uh, and shoots people, and you your training goes beyond trying to prevent them from coming in. Right? Yeah, it, it's, it's mindset. It's... The most important thing is the mindset. Like I got a call from a, a small school, uh, small Christian school last week that I presented to before. They've looked at it, decided, nah, 
all right, we'll think about this, that they never did anything. Because we're a good school and good people, and we really don't think that'll happen. But you know what? Another killing at another school that looks just like theirs that scared the bejesus out of them. How can we have armed staff by Monday? I'm like, by taking security and safety seriously a year ago. There's no way you can do it. No, this is something you got to plan for in advance. So the mindset and understanding this is number one. But the other thing that people overlook is the medical side. In our nation, if you are shot, you have a 90% chance of survival. Our hospitals and doctors are ridiculously good at treating gunshot wounds. They do a great job. The stat's very different. If you're in a school, it's a 50-50 chance of living or dying. So your death rate of getting shot in a school is five times what it is anywhere else in this country. That's because of policy. We let the kids lay on the floor and bleed out and die instead of treating them. You get treated anywhere you get shot with a gun except a school or maybe a church or shopping mall or another active killer because that's the protocol in our country. It is not acceptable. Those are kids that we can save and we need to. So the, our medical stuff, we've got a bunch of lives saved in our program through the medical side of things because it's not just, and not, not from getting shot, but from a hand through the glass, from a sports injury, from a, a shop accident, a contractor cutting cement where the, the blade breaks, teachers out uh, on a motorcycle ride, somebody was gardening. How dangerous is that, right? Well, trip over a rose and have that thorn go through the back of your thigh into your artery, and you'll bleed to death if you don't stop that bleeding. So it's an entire package. Stop, stop, the, di- stop the killing and then stop the dying. Save our kids, give them a hug, and send them home like they do every other day. Our school staff are ready, willing, and able to do this. They're just looking for the right training to help them out. And uh, they can find that. Uh, starting by going to your website, fastersaveslives.org. Guys, any questions from around the table? I got one real quick. Um, Jim, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Is this, you only operate in Ohio, but are you willing to move or come to another state, or um, how does that work? Yeah, we have trained people from 22 states. There's a program running in Colorado, and actually today we're doing training out in Arizona so yeah, we will gladly, if, if it's just one or two people, it's, it's cheaper for them to come to Ohio for the training. But if we've got a couple schools and law enforcement that are interested in this stuff, absolutely, we'll come out to Missouri or any other state and, uh, and, and do that training there. Okay. We want law enforcement there because we want them to see this and continue training and build on it going forward. All right. Well, I, I just turned out of the house last December, but I still stay in contact with a lot of my former colleagues. And I'm going to go over and visit them um, here uh, next week and, and uh, make them aware if they're not already about your program because it's just wonderful. So I, I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing. Well, thank you for your years of service and thanks for doing this. And uh, reach out to me anytime. If there's anything I can help with, I would, I, I'll set everything aside except for my own four kids to work and help people make their schools safe. Thanks, sir. Jim Irvin, thank you for being with us. It's fastersaveslives.org. All right, uh, we got to stop for the news, but we'll be right back. It is Gary on Guns. Good morning. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Dale Roberts in mogunlaw.org. Uh, is it .org or .com? I'm sorry, dot, uh, .com. .com. I don't know why. I, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, anyway, uh, then we've got uh, Garcet in from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. And uh, then uh, Chuck Basie is with us, uh, former state representative. Pocket pistols. You know, there there are times when you, 
you can't, you know, holster a firearm uh, and, and keep it well enough hidden. Uh, especially for women who are wearing perhaps uh, rather uh, tight jeans or whatever, and they're looking for a way to still protect themselves. You might carry a knife, but I don't think that's quite as effective as a as a pistol. And uh, there are uh, there is a list uh, the nine best pocket pistols for concealed carry. Randy Tulane uh, writes this over at Gun Rights Activist, and. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys? Any of you guys have a, a pocket pistol? I have two. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, I do too. Um, there is a, a, a the first one on their list. The number one is the Beretta thirty thirty two Tomcat, uh, and my wife has one of these. They rank that number one. Yeah, they rank that number one. Ugh. Well, and and if they're if they're ranking on you know concealability and you know, ease of use. I agree. It might not be my first choice, but I. But it depends on what their criteria. Well, well let me the, let the me tell you the advantage. The Tomcat is that it has the tip-up barrel. That's so the it, that's the advantage. Well, that's only for people that have the lack the hand strength to manipulate a regular gun. Right, but it's good. Uh, my wife has one of these. She's uh, you know pretty slight, uh, and this is what she likes about it. She can drop. Uh, you know, she flips this thing up, drops a round in closes it. She's got a full magazine. Uh, shouldn't have to worry about racking it. Uh, yeah. And for her, it's perfect. It's uh, but it is it is heavy for caliber and a bit large for its size as well. But you can, uh, it, you know, it, it is pocket carry. Uh, the barrel pops up, lets you uh, load a single round, and then uh, everything goes from there. So they, they rate that at number one. It's all metal, 14 and a half ounce, um, 32 ACP. Not bad. Uh, number two on their list is the Ruger LCP2. Anybody have one of those? Not me. Uh, it is the. Uh, it's their. The it's their knockoff of the clone. Uh, it's a knockoff of a uh, knockoff of a Keltec P380, which is what I uh, have for a pocket. And that, yeah, that's what I have. Um, they mass produce this. They uh, they say it's reliable. It's 380. Um, it's affordable. And it, it apparently is uh, selling very well, but it is one of their uh, uh, one of their top ten. Six Hour P three ninety P nine thirty eight. It's one of the most comfortable, uh, according to the author, that he's ever carried, especially for a nine millimeter. Um, it's easy to fire. They said uh, maybe it's a Swiss German New Hampshire uh, magic, or maybe it's the all metal frame. Uh, regardless, he says it's comfortable to shoot, and uh, it doesn't beat your hand to death with every shot. Uh, it's 1911-like, but not purely 1911. Uh, they've got uh, a couple more on this list, if you're looking for a concealed carry, pocket carry, rather. Uh, the Glock 43. Uh, now, Gwen has one of these, too. What do you guys think of the Glock 43? It's great. I wouldn't <clears throat> really call it a pocket pistol, though. Um. Well, it's a single stack, nine millimeter, um, and uh, they say it uh, it makes the cut for a pocket pistol. It's four and a quarter inches tall. Uh, the magazine is rather long, six and a quarter inches. Uh, luckily, the the G forty three is uh, lightweight and thin. Yeah, I have a teacher friend who carries one of those. 
So, and yeah. what does your teacher friend think? Must like it or wouldn't be doing it, right? Yeah, he likes it, but um, he doesn't carry it in a pocket. He carries it inside the waistband holster. Uh, the SIG, uh, the SIG P365 SAS, another gun uh, they said is sitting on the edge of a pocket. Dale's got pistol. one of those. Yep, huh? I've got one of those. I love it. It's. I, I went looking for you know something to carry in the summer, and you know I'm I'm a 1911 guy, so I had to have a good trigger. And when I found the P365, and I did get the SAS model, um, it's got the best trigger I've ever felt for what i call a plastic gun that good huh uh, yeah it's it's nice i would let you see it but i wouldn't get it back so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a nice My gun. reputation precedes me yeah uh all right so that's a great uh, pocket pistol uh the six hour p365 sas uh they got a few more on their list here the c camp lws 380 and to tell you the truth i never even heard of it uh, Garson, have you heard of the C-Camp LWS-380? Yeah, the C-Camps are beautiful guns. They're all steel. They're fairly expensive. The budget version of the C-Camp is the NAA Guardian series. Um, they're, they're basically knockoffs of the C-Camp. But the C-Camps used to be, I, I don't think they're handmade by one guy anymore. But, you know, when I first ran into them, if you had one, you could get twice what their retail value was out of them because he was only able to make, you know, a few dozen guns a month. Um, but absolute works of art. Uh, the author says they are fascinating. When someone asked to see how small we can make a gun, a three eighty, but they camp answered heavy. with smaller. Uh, and he's got a photograph of this. It is in the palm of his hand. Uh, the barrel extends maybe uh, two joints up his index finger, and that's it. It is that yeah, it's small. Yeah, like an inch and a half inch, inch and a half barrel. But yeah, they are heavy. Well, I, I imagine that uh, that aids with uh, accuracy, then, right? And felt recoil. Yeah, yeah. that weight does absorb some of the recoil. But it's only three eighty and thirty two. Sure. Uh, it holds six rounds. Uh, sights are nothing more than a trench across the top, and uh, they say it's tricky to use anything other than uh, uh, belly ranges. Uh, it's uh, this little blaster, they said, truly emphasizes what a pocket pistol should be. Uh, they go on to the Beretta Pico. Uh, Garson, what do you think? Um, that's good with chips. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the company trimmed, cut, and slimmed down the Pico as much as possible to ensure total concealment and deep carry. Uh, inherently uh, valuable for a pocket pistol. Uh, it's uh, the trimmed slide release magazine release. Uh, Takedown levers uh, sit flush with the frame. Uh, sliding the Pico in and out of your pocket will be snag-free by design. But guys, I wouldn't carry a pistol in my pocket without... Uh, without a one of those small holsters, I, I would buy one of those. If Beretta also came out with the chips, so I could have Pico and chips in different pockets. Stop it! <laughs> it's hard hard to do a show like this with Garson sometimes. You know, I mean, I listen to your weekly show. It seems pretty hard for you to do any show. <laughs> Pico and chips, but but I agree about the pocket holster, or you know, some way to safely, you know, protect uh, and carry a pocket pistol like that yeah because you can get all kinds of uh, lint and things like that in it and the, the pocket holster helps uh, prevent that 
And the, uh, and the clip that you can get for a lot of these makes it a lot easier to keep out of the bottom of your pocket and get pocket lint in it in the first place. I, um, I've got a holster, and I don't remember where I bought it, but it has a, a kind of a, a tongue on it so that if I reach in and pull a firearm out, the holster gets stuck in the pocket. Uh, and it's, you know, it's pretty nicely designed. It's pretty simply designed, but it works pretty well. And if you're carrying in your pocket, I'd recommend, uh, I'd recommend doing that. I'm not so sure about this last one, guys. Uh, it is the, uh, it's not the last one, but it's next to the last. Trail Blazer Life Card. Um, it literally is a card. Uh, yeah. A folding handgun. I don't know. There's something too gimmicky about that for me. The card unfolds uh, into a more traditional gun uh, when it's ready to be fired. Uh, as such, it's a single-shot twenty-two long rifle or twenty-two Magnum that striker fired uh, and uh, a single-action design. Still better than no gun, though. I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, but I, I, I just don't think that I would put that very high up on my list. So he put no revolvers on this list at all? None so far. He's got the... That's disappointing. The P-32 Celtic. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I I was just going to say, I think it's harder to get a revolver down to the size of, you know, for a pocket pistol the way you can, you know, with a slim little... Even the P-365 or 9mm. Your SIG and that Pico Pico are, are... Snub nose revolver sized. Uh, I don't think they're as thick as a revolver. No, but, but most most semi autos aren't. Gotcha. All right. Uh, number nine on the list is the Keltec P32. This is the one that I like. A uh, great alternative to the Tomcat is the Keltec P32. 32 caliber uh, hammer uh, fired. Uh, also has a double action only trigger. Uh, despite the small size, they write it is easy to shoot. Utilizing short recoil operation instead of direct blowback. Uh, this helps to tame the recoil impulse. can make smaller pistols difficult to handle. Um, so they rate that uh, pretty far up on the list. So if you're wearing uh, the kind of clothing that you need to uh, sort of keep your, you know, uh, maybe it's a suit, you don't want it to bulge, or uh, you're wearing uh, Clothing that uh, makes you vulnerable to, to you know, seeing the silhouette, uh, pocket pistol might be the way to go. Uh, we got to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. It is Gary on Gun. Hey, welcome. Coming up uh, in the next hour, we will chat with, uh, well, actually, we'll play a conversation I had with Sheriff Curie out of uh, Kansas uh, about uh, school safety in this recent, uh, most recent school shooting. In the meantime, if you just turn the radio on, Garson is in from Grafs in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, and then uh, Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.org. Uh, and if that's not enough, Chuck Basie, former uh, state representative here in Missouri and a Second Amendment supporter. Uh, welcome back to all of you. I got a message from Michael. He says, I'm, a re- I'm retired military. And I've thought about speaking to my daughter's principal about sitting in the parking lot and keeping an eye on things. In the extremely rare chance I had to engage and drop a school shooter, all I would uh, ask is to be able to drive away unidentified. I don't wish to go to jail over this. Should I make the call? Thanks. Uh, Michael, I think it's a terrible idea, but let's let's ask Dale 
Uh, he's the legal beagle here. Dale? I, you know, every class I've been in, you know, if you are engaged in a shooting, you're going to talk to the police. And in fact, under Missouri law, you must talk to the police. And, you know, if you're in the right, it means they're going to question you and may delay you for an hour or maybe even a couple hours and then let you go. Um, but I don't think you can ever expect to be, you know, in, engage someone with a firearm and not talk to the police. Yeah, you can't disappear like Batman. Yeah. Yeah, not a good idea to leave. Um, and and, and a, a bit of extra advice. Uh, call Dale or Jennifer Bukowski or some attorney. You know, you identify yourself to law enforcement and, and, and try and keep your mouth shut because usually uh, with the adrenaline flowing, you have diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, and you're going to say something, maybe the right thing the wrong way, and end up in trouble. So call an attorney when you talk to the police. Yeah, law enforcement gets, you know, 48 to 72 hours before they have to make a statement, and they should afford us the same courtesy. And you can say that to an officer, you know, if you have the presence of mind to say, I know that when you're engaged, when there's an officer-involved shooting, they give you at least 24 hours, usually much longer, for you to kind of compose yourself before they ex ask for a statement. I'm just asking for the same thing. I gave my name and address, um, and then I need some time to calm down. Yeah, because when, you know, all of that happens, um, you, you just want to talk. And you could say something, you know, that, you know, that would make sense in, in any other situation. But a prosecutor might look at the way you say something and think that it means something else. And the next thing you know, it you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. Uh, so Yeah, because when you make decisions, you know, high on adrenaline, you, you, you can say say the wrong thing or do something stupid and end up with a cat or something. <laughs> yeah. <right>? Just <laughs> and, then, and then you end up mumbling stuff, trying to defend yourselves <laughs> and uh, you say stuff you don't mean. All right. So uh, we're agreed on that. Uh, it is not, <laughs> not a good idea. I feel like I'm missing something here. All right. Uh, it is... Uh, the, the administration's position that we should be banning, quote-unquote, assault weapons. Uh, and uh, Homeland Security uh, Secretary Alejandro uh, Mayorkas made the mistake of tangling with Senator Kennedy. And uh, the result was not good for Mayorkas. That guy's awesome. Mr. Secretary, do you agree with the president that we should ban the private ownership of assault weapons in America? Senator, I do. What is an assault weapon? It is, for example, an AK-47. Uh, can you give me a definition other than just pointing to a specific weapon? Would there be other weapons besides an AK-47 you would ban? Uh, there uh, uh, very well are. And I remember when I was a federal prosecutor uh, in the Central District of California from September 25th, 1989 to, I believe it was April 2001. And I thank you for uh, your all service, of the, but if all you could of answer the law my question. The, the vast majority of law enforcement officers, uh, leaders uh, with whom I worked, uh, uh, were uh, 
greatly in support of the assault weapons Mr. ban. Mr. Chairman, you know why we get so frustrated with you? Because you won't give straight answers. I think I just did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Do you have an, a, def, a definition of an assault weapon? Uh, I am confident there is a technical definition of what is an assault weapon, uh, and it was uh, assuredly used uh, in the context of the statute that previously existed banning assault weapons. Wow. He wants to ban them, but he can't define them. Um, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, but, Dale, you've worked with a lot of law enforcement in Columbia. And what was their position on uh, AR-15s and other semi-automatic rifles? I never had an officer speak, uh, you know, in favor of banning a particular type of weapon. It, I've never heard an officer support that idea or that concept. They focused on the criminals and the criminal activity, um, but it didn't matter what kind of a firearm they were using or what kind of you know illegal substance they were using. They were after you know the individual criminal, um, and it's you know really just that simple. And it seems from observation over the last probably fifteen years that the only people in law enforcement who support things like a, you know, a specific uh, assault weapons ban, if you will, are the command staff political type folks. And, you know, a couple of years ago, the, I uh, can't remember the group, you know, uh, FOP or Police Officers Association of America did a survey of its members and by overwhelming numbers, their members supported the Second Amendment, and again, it was the the uh, folks in command positions, meaning politically sensitive positions, who were the only ones that supported banning a certain weapon. Bizarre. All right, uh, it's clear Biden doesn't know what legal, what's legal, and what isn't. Uh, but next, show and tell, Sheriff Curry, all coming up on Carry On Gun. <laughs> 